Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. This is Brian Nugent, and I'm the pastor at Generations Church. Thanks for listening today. We hope this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. Good morning. Man, what a week. It's uh, Mega Sports Camp week. It's wedding week. It's uh, last week, a lemonade stand. We've got our last week of summer for our students next week. And uh, so Pastor Brian, like he said, asked, asked somebody to fill in. And uh, so he looked at the calendar and said, we've got all of this stuff going on. Who do I think can do that? Now, I'm going to take that as they needed the big guns to do that. I'm not quite sure that was the heart behind it, but we're going to go with that. Um, <laughs> but no, we're going we're gonna to roll with it. We're going to have a great time this morning. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for what God is going to do today. So let me just say thank you. Um, man, I was reminded. So for those of you who don't know, if you're here, for your, uh, maybe it's your first time for Mega Sports Camp, or maybe you're some family from uh, Kentucky that are here from the wedding. Uh, my wife and I have been here at Generations Church for uh, right around six years now. And uh, so this is home for us. This is, uh, we love Generations Church, but we just stepped into being the full-time student pastors in November. So uh, it's been about nine months, um, and uh, man, it's been a whirlwind. It's been a whirlwind, but we are so grateful for you as our Generations Church family. But I was reminded uh, just the other day, uh, Pastor Brian called us into his office uh, as as the staff, and, and he sat us down. And uh, we all thought it was going to be, he's going on vacation next week and all these things. So we thought it was going to be some things that he's lining up, getting ready to go. And he sat us down in his office and he just started talking life with us. And I was just reminded how grateful I am to walk into a season with a leader who wants to invest more in my life than in my ministry. And so thank you. Thank you for being that kind of leader. Thank you for being that kind of pastor. And this is not a pulpit that I take lightly because of that. And so I hope that you'll hang with me this morning. Um, I hope that I live up to that call well, and I hope that you will be blessed this morning. So as I say, thank you again. uh, Thank you for uh, just uh, kind of welcoming and ushering us into this student ministry role. Man, we have just seen God's hand of faithfulness and blessing. I don't get to stand up here often and tell you all the phenomenal things that God is doing. I get to kind of close worship and, uh, you know, there's that kind, of, uh, that kind of powerful moment, but I don't always get to just share what God is doing in youth and student ministry. And so I just want to take a few minutes and just share what God is doing because I believe that recognizing God's hand of faithfulness on, on what is going on is a powerful thing. And so, um, as you saw, as Pastor Brian talked about, we've got our Speed the Light uh, and BGMC Next Gen Missions table. We're partnering with our kids' ministry. We've done that in several different areas, and I'll talk about a few of those. But we're partnering with our kids' ministry to, to make missions a priority. We want to make missions a priority, not because we want to give a bunch of money, not because we need a trophy from the district that says you gave this much money, but because I believe that there are people on this earth who still need to hear about Jesus. And I believe the heart of God and the call of God is for some young people to care enough about the gospel of Jesus Christ to give a few dollars to pay for a cup of lemonade so that somebody can hear about him. And so that's the heart behind what's going on. I will gladly tell you as I stand before you today, we have already raised as much money for Speed the Light today up to this point in 2023 as we raised all of last year in 2022. And again, that's not a dollar amount that we're clapping for. That's soul saved. That's a real, real big deal. We've seen God's hand of faithfulness on our connect groups, man, I believe in relational discipleship. And uh, we came in with a kind of a new model in January where we were all connect groups all the time. So we meet in connect groups weekly. We do a full connect group service on the fourth Wednesday of every month. And man, I just have seen, I am so proud of our teenagers. I am so proud of our teenagers because they have, they have risen to the occasion. I kind of challenged them at the beginning of the year to say, hey, Life is better in circles than in rows, and if you're going to do this thing right, you're going to do it together. 
And they have risen to the occasion. They meet together every week. And I have just seen a group of teenagers together, arm in arm, hand in hand, just pursue the things of God. And there's proof to that in that you saw the announcement about baptisms. We've got, a, we've got almost half a dozen students that are going to get baptized in August. Because when you make the things of God a priority in a teenager's life, big things happen. I've seen the hand of God's faithfulness in, in just our activities and our leadership. And we've got a leader summit coming up next week where we're going to dive in and we're going to do leadership workshops with about a half dozen students. And man, we're just going to challenge them to step up and rise to the call that God's got something greater and something more for them. And if you haven't signed up for that and you're a teenager and you want to dive into that, please sign up because I would love for you to be there. But the truth is, is that I don't, I don't talk about those, event, I don't, uh, those events, I don't talk about our, our camp and our forward and our beach trip because of the fun that we had, but I talk about those things because I've seen God show up in a powerful way in our students' lives. I think about one student who at camp, he, he's kind of a quiet guy and doesn't say much, and I'm not going to say his name because I, I don't want him to feel embarrassed that I'm talking about this in front of the adults, but... He, again, quiet guy, kind of reserved, doesn't say much. Man, there was an altar at camp one night. I'm going to get emotional now. There was an altar at camp one night, and I saw a kid who had no words, but every tear that streamed down his face said everything it needed to. I saw a kid who had a moment with Jesus and said that I'm going to take this thing for real. And this kid, man, I'm so proud of him. He knows who he is. I, I, that moment with Jesus could have just stayed right there. But that, that kid had a moment with Jesus powerful enough that he, he took it home and he's brought it back to church and he's been here serving during the week in his free time because to him something happened in his heart that said, I'm going to live for something worth living for. That there's something bigger and better in this thing, in this faith journey that I now have with Jesus, all because, and let me tell you something, there's somebody in this room who paid for that young man to be at camp. He didn't even go on his own, but God had a plan and a purpose for that young man's life, and he used you to do it. And so I've just seen God's hand of faithfulness on our student ministry. And I am blessed to be called the youth pastor of Generations Church, not because of anything that I can implement, not because of the fun that we get to have, not because of anything other than I believe that Jesus wants to have an impact on every teenager that walks in this place. And so I hope that you'll continue, continue to pray for our teenagers. You know the world that we're living in. I don't have to detail it. Matter of fact, I have more people tell me about the world we're living in than I have to tell them because they know the world we're living in. And it's a real thing. And our teenagers need you. Our teenagers need you as mentors. Our teenagers need you as disciplers. Our teenagers need you as encouragers. Our teenagers need you as spiritual moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. Our teenagers need you. And most of all, our teenagers need you to pray. Our teenagers need you to pray. And so again, I come up here. I know that's a little heavy. I know that that's, uh, uh, but I just, I get pumped up and I get excited because again, I've seen God's, God's moving in our students. And I don't always get to get up here and tell you about it. And I think you need to know what God is doing in the hearts and lives of our teenagers. So again, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. And uh, I'll conclude my thank yous with, uh, I'm sorry that you get the youth pastor and not the main pastor this morning. So I kid, let's dive in. If you got your Bibles, turn to Nehemiah chapter nine. I won't be offended that Bo two weeks ago got a whole lengthy introduction with all of the bells and whistles and trophies and everything I got, I asked Brad to fill in. So. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 9, we're continuing our series in uh, Nehemiah, and uh, man, I don't know about you, but this one has blessed me. 
This one has blessed me. And uh, the story of Nehemiah is written based on a promise from God a hundred years earlier that he would free the Jewish exiles living in Babylon, restore them to their land, their temple, and life in Jerusalem. We saw King Cyrus release the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem, but he did it at three different times with three different leaders. We saw Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple, Ezra to restore worship and religious life back to Israel, and Nehemiah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so in previous weeks leading up to chapter 9, we've seen Nehemiah's prayer and call from God to lead the rebuilding of the perimeter walls of Jerusalem. We've seen Nehemiah arrive in Jerusalem and start the reconstruction of the walls. We saw how Nehemiah as a leader dealt with the opposition, discouragement, gossip, and hurt that came from leading people. Nehemiah's compassion for the hurting and those in need and wise discernment concerning those who were opposing him. Ezra read this, we, we saw Ezra read the scriptures to the people, and this resulted in a time of weeping, confession, repentance, and then celebration of what God had done. And if you were here last week, we closed out our service with just a powerful time of celebration and rejoicing at the altar for what God has done and the blessing that he's put upon our lives. And today, we're going to build upon that. So don't forget uh, what, we, what led into chapter 9 was chapter 8. In chapter 8, we talked again about confession, we talked about repentance, and we talked about celebration. Keep track of those three things. We're going to dive into those three things again today. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Lord, I thank you for this moment. Lord, we proclaim this to be a holy moment. God, that you would speak to our hearts and to our minds, God, exactly what you would have for us today. That it wouldn't be about the words that come out of my mouth, God, but it would be about the words that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. God, I thank you, Lord, for for both conviction and rejoicing, God, that we can come before you and we can have a moment in your presence. God, and I pray that you would use it as a moment that we will never forget. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My question for you today is this, where's God failed you? Where has God failed you? I'm going to get to the answer in a little bit. It's a little bit of a trick question for all those people who are like, all right, I'm turning him off. Uh, (laughs) Verse one, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. I was so humbled going into this chapter because the chapter kicks off on the 24th day of the same month. And I don't know if you remember uh, chapter 8, but chapter 8, Ezra started this kind of revival moment where he started reading scriptures and they started praying and they started really seeking God and they started this revival moment. And you kind of saw maybe the first revival moment recorded in the Bible. And then 24 days later, almost a month Later, they're still gathering together and God is still moving. And I don't know about you, but I think there's something significant. And Pastor Brian hit on it a little bit that last week with some of the great awakenings and some of the school revivals that are happening. But there's something so significant about these extended periods of people finding themselves in the presence of God. Don't overlook this idea that there is something significant happening in the spiritual hearts and lives of the Israelites in this moment. So this 24th day isn't just a measure so that you can say, okay, here we are on the calendar. Because in some translations, it'll tell you it's like October 31st or something like that. And we can get in our mind that, okay, this was the day, but don't overlook this idea that there is this extended spiritual experience that the Israelites are having. You see, I think oftentimes it's easy for us to take for granted the powerful moves of God and put the celebration of God on this timeline and say, well, the celebration happened at the altar last Sunday, so there it's going to stop there. Or the 
the, the miracles and the signs and the wonders that we saw over the course of several months ago happened several months ago, so he's done working signs and wonders. And what I want to tell you is, is that we can't put God in a box and on a timeline to say, okay, he was done then, and so we've got to move ourselves on. God wants to continue to move, and I wonder if we would find ourselves in a place where we would continue to seek him as he does so. You see, I wonder if we refuse to accept that God was done. I wonder if we refuse to believe that God has completed his powerful work in me or in you. You see, it's something that our staff prays for. Often we talk about it. We're so thankful and grateful for the things that God is doing in our church with signs and miracles that have been medically verified and just powerful times at the altar and uh, breaking of addiction and bonds. And we just are so thankful for what God is doing. But our prayer is that we would continue to shepherd the powerful move of God, that God is not done yet. Because let me remind you, let me remind you, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek their face and turn from their wicked ways, he didn't say, if they do it then, I'm going to do it and stop. He says, I will continually hear or I will, then I will hear them from heaven and continually forgive their sin and heal their land. Ephesians says he is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us. His power doesn't stop here. We keep diving into his presence and see his power work. I wonder if we refused to see God stop. Because the Israelites weren't done here. They weren't done here. Some 20-something days later, they're still recognizing their need for more of God. And they sought after him with urgency and fervor. And the crazy thing is, is that as hard as they keep going in, God continues to show up. God doesn't sit there in silence with them. God continues to show up. You see, they could have said, well, the wall's built. There's the miracle. We're done. God's done. But no, they dove in and kept seeking God because they longed for this continued work. The Bible says they gathered together. They removed all of the distractions, which is why they were wearing sackcloth and separating themselves from foreigners. You see, the sackcloth was the most basic level of their traditional clothing. And so they went back to the sackcloth clothing so that there wasn't a, there wasn't, I'll, I'll make this the equivalent. It's like wearing uniforms in school. If everybody's wearing the same thing, then nobody's wearing something better or worse. So if you go back to the traditional basis of worship, then there's no distraction. And you see, sometimes I think we come to church. Watch your toes. I think we come to church and we get caught up in how many lights are on the stage or how loud the music is or what we see out in the lobby. Or the person that's standing out in the lobby that forgot to shake our hand because they just walked through a situation, but I'm more important than they're grieving. And we get caught in the distraction of church instead of the worship of the God we came to worship. And they humbly found themselves before a holy God. And they stood in their places and confessed their sins, and the sins of their ancestors. I love this because I just get this image of them lining up. In the, and actually it goes on to talk about in verse 4 and 5, you've got the priest on the steps and the people are down at the bottom of the steps. And I was going to pull some of you up and kind of make this visual line, but I'm just going to 
let you use your imagination. But I, I imagine them lining up, and it talks about them confessing their sins. And I just see these people coming up, and the priests are up here, and they just start pouring out everything that they've done wrong. What if church, what if church, Pastor Brian and I and Pastor Bo and Pastor Brand, we stood up here on this step and you had to come up here and tell us all your sins. Lord knows I would not want to, I would not want to be here. But better yet, you would not want to be here. Because the truth is, is that we have gotten really good at covering up all the mess that we deal with. I asked our leaders the other day, When's the last time that you were so unprideful that you found yourself at an altar? You see, I think we get wrapped up in the fluff. We find ourselves in all of the things that don't matter, and therefore we're looking around at all the people who are looking at us, and God is saying, come back to me and worship a holy God who loves and cares about you. Getting rid of all the mess, getting rid of all the distractions, getting rid of all the, of all the stuff, I just want you. So my point to you this morning is this, as we enter into these first few verses, is that confession begins with correct motives. Confession begins with correct motives. You see, too often I think that our confession to God comes from this place of what God can do for us. Oh, I need God to do this. Or I'm walking through this situation, so let me confess just enough that I feel like God can make it better for me. Or let me go confess to my spiritual brothers what I've done so that I'll feel better about what I've done and we don't ever really confess to God the weight that we're carrying and don't get me wrong I believe that God wants to free you of all that stuff too I believe there's power in accountability I believe there's power in God showing up in the midst of your circumstance and you by prayer and petition asking God for some things but I wonder if we hesitate to confess our sins because we come with incorrect motives. You see, I find it so interesting that the Israelites' confession in verse 3 didn't come, fr didn't come from God, what God could do for them, but rather what God was doing in them. You see, confession starts with the motive of God doing a work in my life. Confession starts with this idea that God is moving and working, and no matter the outcome of the situation, or the circumstance, the holy God in heaven who created me to come back to him is working in my life. You see, confession isn't just here's what I've done wrong. Confession is God keep working in me. Keep cleansing me. Keep drawing me back to you, I love what Pastor Witt said. God's, he said, seek the Lord and you will find him. And I wonder <clears throat> if our confession stops where it stops because I'm seeking a clean me rather than a holy God. You see, they stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And spend another quarter in confession and in worshiping the, the Lord their God. You may or may not have caught that. You may, uh, you may not be a math expert, but two quarters equal a half. So they spent a half of their day reading the word of God, confessing and worshiping. And sometimes I struggle to give God five or ten minutes. Half their day. You see, we don't get up here on this stage. We don't send out the emails and the announcements and talk about Fuel 15 just because it's a pretty graphic with some cool resources. We send out Fuel 15 so that you will find yourself in the midst of a holy God and you will spend a little bit of time in your word. You will spend a little bit of time in prayer and confession. You will spend a little bit of time in worship, because there is a God who wants relationship with you. And if you hold it to the point of just saying, God, clean me, as opposed to God saying, God, do the work in my heart, in my life, then you'll never make time 
for the time. You see, again, their motives stem from what God was doing in them, not what God could do for them. And when does this start happening? I'm reminded of God's faithfulness through his word. You see, when I'm challenged to live a holy life that is honoring to him because he created me in his image, you see, I've got to stop looking at my life through the lens of my situations and my circumstances, and I've got to change my vantage point. I've got to change my motive. I've got to change. I've got to change. This is a mirror for those of you who... It's got writing on it, though, so it's not clean, so I can't show it to you. But see, too often we get in this place... We get in this place again where we start looking at ourselves and our life and our circumstances and our situations and we say, man, God could never use that. Let me take this off because that doesn't look clean. That doesn't look like something God can do in me. And we start looking and going through our life from the vantage point of what shows back up in the mirror. But I was just so challenged in verse 3. He said they spent a quarter of the day in the word of God. And you know why this changes everything? Because I can't see me when I'm looking at the book. I can't see the imperfections that I find in the mirror. I can't see the weaknesses. I can't see the mess in the dirt. All I can see is that the Bible says that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. He says I'm made in the image of God. He says I'm a, I'm a child of God welcomed into the arms of the Father. I don't get to judge my life anymore based on my, what I see in my circumstances, but only by what God's doing in me. You can't. You can't, you can't find a, yourself in a place of confession when you're trying to do it all on your own. Confession stems by recognizing that there is a holy God. From the pages, that's, from the pages of this book that are full of undying promises of hope, of joy, of love, of peace, so that even when I don't see it, even when this reflection tells me otherwise, this keeps me, this keeps me. I got to move on. I'm, I'm only through three verses. We're halfway in. Nehemiah chapter nine, at the end of verse five. He says, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. Catch that because again, that's who he is, not what he's done. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant. Keep that word in mind. We're going to come back to that later with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh. If you don't remember these stories, these are all, this is, they are recapping, confessing, and praising God for the, for the Exodus. You can go read through the book of Exodus and you'll see all of these things. God took the Israelites out of Egypt and he, he fulfilled several promises in them. And this is the Israelites looking back on their history because at this point, they're generations and generations out and they're, they're finding themselves in a group of people who, who they, they kind of know what happened, but they don't recognize the gravity of what happened. And so they're finding themselves here recapping for them and confessing again before a holy God in the midst of the revival that God is bringing. And so again, you send signs and wonders against Pharaoh. 
uh, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths like a stone into mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud and by night with a pillar of fire. You came down on Mount Sinai. You spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. You have made known to them the holy Sabbath through your servant Moses. In their hunger, you gave them bread from heaven and in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. And again, they are just, they are exalting God for what he has done. And can I tell you, I love remembering what God has done in my life. I don't know about you, but I've been, I've been in some messy situations. I've been in some messy places. And I can't help but find myself humbled, grateful, and praising the, my Savior in heaven when I think about what he's done in me and where he's brought me from. Matter of fact, that's why we celebrated at the altar last week. Because there's something so special about celebrating what God has done in our lives. And we find it again here as they look back on the Exodus story. I don't know about you, but if my ancestors were trapped in the situation they were trapped in, and I just continued to see God's hand in situations that didn't add up and didn't make sense, that seemed hopeless and desperate, and yet God continued to show up every single time, that would be something to me worth celebrating. Psalm 77 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. First Chronicles says, remember his marvelous works, which he has done, his wonders and the judgment of his mouth. You see, there's so much power in remembering what God has done. But let me make this caveat. Don't fall into the trap of always remembering what you walk through. Remember what God has brought you from. You see, we can fall into this trap to say, I got through that. I remember when I walked through the Red Sea. You only walked through the Red Sea because God split it open. So don't fall into the trap of making God's miracles and God's promises about me. Make them about where God has brought you from. Make them about the holy God in heaven that created a situation that only he could bring about in your life. It's not about anything that I've done. The youth pastor position here and God's faithfulness is not something that I've done. It is something that God orchestrated before the history of time that I walk in obedience to. And I say, God, I am humbled and grateful for the way that you want to continue to use me but it is not about me it is about you and the powerful move of God we want to see at Generations Church so we said confession begins with correct motive but repentance begins with right perspective repentance begins with right perspective because if we're not careful, we'll begin to look at the situations we've walked through or the areas of our lives where God has moved and we can easily shift into this me attitude instead of this God attitude. But with right perspective, we begin to forget, or I'm sorry, without the right perspective, we begin to forget the marvelous works of God and we remember the marvelous outcomes for Brad. But when I remember the signs and the wonders that God performed in my life and lean into the powerful hand of God on my life, I keep the perspective of a holy God in heaven that has ordained a plan over my life. And it becomes so much less about what I've been through and so much more about what God is doing. Again, it's not about what God's doing for them. It's about what God is doing in them. That's why this thing is sustained because it's not a request in a, in a failed attempt by God, it is a God continue to show up in my weakness. God continue to move as I pursue you. Do something powerful in my life. I want to see you more. So I turn from my ways and I dive into what God has. And we begin to see that God will never fail me. If you remember, I asked you that trick question, where has God failed you? 
And the truth is, is that God has never failed. You see it in verse 8. I love this verse. I read it slow, but I'm going to read it again. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. It doesn't always make sense. It doesn't always have a reason. It doesn't always look the way you thought it would. But he kept his promise because he's righteous. How many times can I say that that's true in my life, that God kept his promises for me? But I find it really interesting because they're talking about the promises that they've walked through and the promises that God is keeping and the things that he did in the Exodus. And then you get to verse 16 and the Israelites have a perspective change. In verse 16, it says, but they, our ancestors, became arrogant and stiff-necked and they did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember. They refused to listen and failed to remember. That's your moment where you say, man, maybe I've refused to listen and failed to remember. The miracles you performed among them, they became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to their slavery. And so their perspective changed, their perspective flipped. They went from having a holy perspective and seeing what God had done over the course of the entire landscape and they begin to find themselves in a place where now my perspective is in it instead of above it. So the perspective becomes about me and the situation around me instead of my perspective being about the situation and what God is doing in the greater picture of my life. There's a perspective change. And what led to the perspective uh, shift? Arrogance and a failure to remember. Arrogance and a failure to remember. But catch this. This might be my favorite verse in the whole chapter. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And somebody needs to hear this today. Therefore, you did not desert them. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf and said, this is your God who, you, who brought you up out of Egypt or when they committed awful blasphemies. You see, the Israelites are reminded that because of their ancestors or because their ancestors had a perspective change, it went from who God was to who they were and what they were accomplishing. And they were ushered back into a place of slavery. And I wonder this morning how many of us in this room have given up on God moving in our situations and in our circumstances in life because we felt like God wasn't moving anymore when in actuality, I lost my perspective. Listen, circumstances and situations get hard. It's easy to get wrapped up in what's going on around you. But there's a God in heaven who says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not my ways, and I've got it taken care of. And if you come up to my perspective, Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things above, not on the things above on the earth. Paul reminds us that it's about perspective. So how do we maintain right perspective towards repentance? Back to Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 19. Because of your great compassion. Again, we'll come back to this in a minute, but don't overlook that passage of Scripture. Because of your great compassion. You heard it once in the last, past, or last section, and you heard it here again. Because of your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the wilderness. God, thank you for not abandoning me in my wilderness. When I was more questioning than prayerful, when I was more doubtful than I was hopeful, thank you for not abandoning me in my wilderness. Verse 20, it says, you gave your good spirit to instruct them. See, and you guys thought the Holy Spirit was just an, a New Testament thing. 
You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouths and you gave them water for their thirst. You want to maintain right perspective? Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because if I follow my leading, my perspective is always going to be in the mess. It's always going to be in the mess. I can't find the perspective of heaven until I'm led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that there's one greater coming, that the Holy Spirit would comfort and guide us. He leads us into right perspective. You see it again in verse 30 of Nehemiah chapter 9. He says, for many years you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through the prophets. You see, God sent his Holy Spirit a long time ago to lead and guide us into right perspective. Don't discount what the Holy Spirit is trying to lead you into in your life. You see, the Holy Spirit has power for you. He has blessing for you. He has warnings for you. He has guidances for you. He has things for you. And you have got to walk humbly and obediently in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But here's the key. Obediently. I think about my kids. Maddie's about to turn four. And she is our uh, sassy attitude in the house. And if you ever heard the term three-nager, I've got one. And so sometimes Maddie, as much as I love her, she is daddy's girl. She is spoiled beyond belief, which may play into the three-nager thing. This is not about parenting advice. There's this thing about obedience that she wrestles with. And you can see it. It's visible. You'll tell her to do something. And she will sometimes say, okay. She'll sometimes flat out say no. But most of the time, it's this contemplation of as much as a three-year-old can contemplate of what is the end result of this going to be. And unfortunately, I think we find ourselves in a, a similar place with the Holy Spirit where we, we sense the Holy Spirit leading us somewhere. But instead of just saying yes in obedience, we go through this willful contemplation of what will the end result of this be? And God's not asking you for the result. God is asking you for the obedience. The Holy Spirit is guiding and leading you into all righteousness. So will you let him? Worship team, you can come. We're going to close this thing out. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 27. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers. We skip down into verse 28. It says, Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. But in your great mercy... You did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, our God, the great God, mighty and awesome, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come on us, on our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, ancestors, and all your people, in all that has happened to us, 
You have remained righteous. You have acted faithfully while we acted wickedly. You've heard it over and over and over and over again today. And I'm so humbled by this theme that shows up through Nehemiah chapter 9. They said, because of your great compassion, your great mercy, and your unfathomable grace, you keep your covenant of love. That in the midst of every decision that we've made and every circumstance that we've walked through in the, in the haste of our ancestors continually walking away and then you showing back up and then they walk away again and you show back up and they walk away again and you show back up and they walk away again and you show back up. You are rich in mercy. You are a gracious and merciful God mighty and awesome who keeps his covenant of love. You see, confession begins with correct motives. Repentance begins with right perspective. And praise begins with proper positioning. You see, You want to know why I think the Israelites are experiencing this extended period of revival and renewal? Because they've positioned themselves in a place of humility that says, even though we messed up, and we messed up again, and we messed up again, and we messed up again, I'm going to come under the umbrella of the covenant of love because you're rich in mercy and your grace is good. It's, it's powerful beyond measure. And so they begin to praise. They begin to worship. They begin to exalt and celebrate again. Three weeks after the initial celebration. Because they find themselves in a reminder that God is not a failure God, but he's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And can I tell the person who's in this room today that feels like God has given up on you, that he is great in mercy and that he is rich in grace and that he has a covenant of love that he has not backed out of, but what is pursuing you with each and every moment of each and every day. And it's not based in your circumstances or your choices. It's not based in your past or your ancestors. It's not based in your children. It's based in the cross. Because there was a covenant of love that was made on that piece of wood that said your eternity is worth more than your temporary Praise begins with proper positioning. And where is the position? At the feet of Jesus. Again, I asked you the question at the beginning of this, where has God failed you? And I just want to encourage you today that there's power in a promise. That there's power in a promise. Some 2,000 years ago, there was a promise made on a cross that said, I want you. It said, I want you. See, there's this old story where C.S. Lewis in his biography, we've referenced C.S. Lewis several times through this series, but he, he tells of the suffering he endured because he kept a promise he made to a buddy during World War I. You see, this friend was worried about if he had to go, if he got shipped off into battle, what was going to happen to his wife? And he had this urgency and this care and concern for uh, his wife and leaving her. And so he was fearful to get shipped out. 
But ultimately, that was the result. He got shipped out. And so C.S. Lewis made this promise to his friend that he would look after his wife no matter what. Well, they ended up getting a letter a short time later that his friend didn't make it. And so true to his word, C.S. Lewis says, I took care of my friend's family, yet no matter how helpful I tried to be, the woman was ungrateful, rude, arrogant, and domineering. And I love this line. It says, through it all, I kept forgiving her. Because I refused to let her actions become an excuse to renege on my promise. And I believe this. I believe that there is a God in heaven who made the very same promise. That he was going to take care of you in the midst of struggle, in the midst of pain, in the midst of joy, in the midst of happiness. He wasn't going to change. But sometimes where we can find ourselves a lot like that woman, where we're rude, we're arrogant, we're domineering towards the things of God, we're ungrateful. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there's a God in heaven who says exactly what C.S. Lewis says, I'm going to keep forgiving them. I'm going to keep forgiving them. Because there's nothing in this world that's going to cause me to renege on my promise. Would you stand with me today? Again, there's a place of proper positioning that leads us into the place of praise because of a heart of humility and light of the cross. And we find ourselves again coming back to Jesus and saying, God, renew in me a pure heart. Renew in me the promises that you have given me in your word. You've never failed me. You won't leave me or forsake me. And I find myself humbly before you. You see, again, I'm reminded of the promises of God that have never failed. And the Israelites are reminded of all the times that they and their family have. But of a God who's rich in mercy... And has never had. So I just want to pray with, with some folks today. We're going to rejoice and celebrate. We're going to rejoice and celebrate because of our position at the cross. We're going to praise because of our proper positioning in just a moment. And Brent's going to lead us in a song that says, God, do it again in my life. Do it again in my life. But before I do that, I just, I feel led that Again, there's some folks in this place today that have said, I've tried two times, I've tried three times, I've tried four times, and every time, I've just messed up, and I feel like God's given up on me. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, just out of a humbled reverence for what God wants to do in this moment, it's not, I don't want to embarrass anybody, I'm not trying to call you out. I just want to pray with you. And if that's you today, if you just say, I feel, I feel like God's given up on me. If you just slip your hand in the air, I just want to pray with you. If you feel forgotten about, if you feel left out, if you feel like God has moved in your life before and maybe it's time to, maybe it's time to just say, God, do it in me again. Continue to make your promise that has never failed me. If that's you, I just want you to slip your hand up with these other hands that are raised.
God, I thank you for every hand that's raised in this place. God, I pray that you just renew in them a, a spirit that longs for the things of you. God, that you are continually calling us back to you. Lord, that as Pastor Witt said, as we seek you, we'll find you, God. So I pray that that would be this moment, that it would be a holy moment where they seek and they find. God, that you have not given up on them, that you have not failed them, that your promises have never gone away, that maybe we've messed up, maybe we've made some bad decisions, maybe we've made some bad choices, maybe our family has done some things that we're ashamed of. But God, you are a God of second and third and fourth chances, and your goodness is still chasing after us. So God, as we enter into this time of worship, as we enter into this time of praise, God, I pray that we find ourselves in a humbled place before you, thankful for the work that you've done in us, thankful for the things that you've done on the cross, thankful for the promises that you've made, that you've upheld in me. And God, I thank you, Lord, that we can rejoice and praise because of who you are, not because of what you can do for me, God, but because of what you've done in me. So God, I give you praise in this moment. I give you my song in this moment and make it a proclamation of my heart, God, that says, do it again in my life that I have seen you and you've done it and you've never failed and I need you to do it again. Renew it in me, oh God. Brent, would you lead us? seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe, I see you do it again.
Thank you for listening to the Generations Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message today and pray God's greatest blessings on you. For more information about Generations Church and its ministries, check out our webpage at gctlh.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter.